Welcome to Dermatology Morning Commute, the pathophysiology behind Parigo nodularis. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. In our fourth podcast on Parigo nodularis, Dr. Sean Quatra and Dr. Serena Elmaria discuss the itch-scratch cycle. On September 29, 2022, after this podcast series was recorded, the FDA approved dupilumab subcutaneous injection for the treatment of adults with Parigo nodularis. This is the first approved treatment for PN. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash P nodularis 4. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Quatra is an Associate Professor of Dermatology at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore. Dr. Almaria is an Assistant Professor at Harvard Medical School and part of the faculty in the Department of Dermatology at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Quatra will begin our discussion. Serena, in our last podcast, we talked about systemic treatments for Brigonagularis. Uh, now let's turn to better understand the pathophysiology of PN. And previously, we'd known very, very, very little about it. And what we did know was sandwiched into our broader understanding of itch. Now we're learning a little bit more about what's unique about PN and in terms of this interplay between inflammatory and neuronal processes. So would you mind setting the stage for the pathophysiology of paragonagularis? Sure. Um, thank you for this. I mean, I think the pathophysiology uh, of paragonagularis is really fascinating. And really, you know, I do want to emphasize that our understanding of the pathophysiology is evolving. So, you know, from work that's been done over the last decade or so, uh, we have known that there are both immune components as well as neural components. And traditionally for years, in part, I think, because some of the research was done by immunologists, uh, we kind of focused on the role of increases in eosinophils and eosinophil um, eosinophil-released factors, uh, how those increases in eosinophils and the burden of eosinophils would lead to a more complex immune uh, soup, if you will, which I know you're going to touch on later, um, but how that would then influence the development of a nodule. And this could be found at the base of nodules or within nodules, and sometimes even in like the tightly kind of surrounding skin. Um, but there has been evidence for immune dysregulation for some time. You know, I'd say a little bit more recently, but still, even in the last you know several years old now, we have known that uh, there is also a very heavy neural predominant uh, impact as well. And so, uh, work many years ago by Sonia Stander and her group showed that PN within the PN lesion uh, that there can be in, um, decreased actually intraepidermal nerve fiber density uh, that was thought to lead to a dysregulation in kind of just sensory processing so that there would actually be more incoming itch and less you know pain or other sensory phenomenon that could downregulate the itch sensing or gating. Um, we have subsequently realized that there is actually an increase in dermal nerve fiber density 
intensity as well. And so I think, you know, again, along that theory, right, there may be of those um, cutaneous C fibers or unmyelinated um, kind of itch and pain sensing fibers, there is a dysregulation that leads to a fueling of a chronic itch sensation. But again, you know, as we talked about in one of our earlier podcasts, a lot of these patients experience, uh, you know, burning or tingling, um, prickling. And so not simply itch, but it could be, you know, this dysregulation of epidermal versus dermal nerve fiber density uh, may, you know, may influence those other uh, symptoms. Now, how these two components of immune dysfunction and neural dysfunction lead to the characteristic nodule, as well as the fibrosis that you have actually mentioned, uh, is really our understanding of this is still evolving. I don't know if you actually, you, you know, maybe now's a great time for you to talk about some of your work and some of the, the findings that you've had. Sure. So I think that's a great segue. So we know very little about PN uh, in comparison to atopic dermatitis and psoriasis in terms of the immunological basis for it in both the skin uh, and the blood. And so what our group did is we actually did skin biopsies from uh, PN patients, both their nodules and um, the healthy appearing skin, normal appearing skin. And uh, we did sequencing to see what was different about those uh, nodules. Like what were the different molecular mediators in those nodules? And also uh, we looked at the blood to see what were the different parameters that were dysregulated. And actually we found some very interesting things. Um, we found that there's different immune axes uh, that are upregulated. So we confirmed that there is absolutely from both the skin and the blood, uh, novel immune dysregulation in pregnanodularis. Uh, we looked specifically at a few different axes, the type 2 inflammation or IL-4, 13, 31 are all implicated, uh, but also other axes, especially in the nodules, there's some TH17 and 22 activity, which are associated with skin thickening as well. And uh, in the bloodstream, we also found very interestingly increased circulatory uh, inflammatory cells. So one of them was called gamma delta T cells. So these are actually very interesting because they're important in other comorbidities, so like chronic kidney disease, other things like that. And those are increased in pregnodularis patients in their bloodstream. Also natural killer T cells, um, CD4 and CD8 T cells, which are a lot of these immune signaling cells uh, that are involved in the pathogenesis of PN. So all of those mediators uh, are involved. When we look specifically at pregnodularis versus uh, atopic dermatitis and psoriasis, what was so interesting is that we found very fibroproliferative genes. So many of the genes associated with thickening of nodules, also a more neural dysregulation. So building on what you said, when we looked at all of these different neurally encoded genes that are involved in itch sensation and also neuron biology, um, we found that those were dysregulated more uh, in PN than even atopic dermatitis and psoriasis, which really highlights that origin of what's going on. So those Sean, are- can I actually ask you yeah. a quick question there? So does that um, does that include things like calcitonin gene related peptide and substance P, which many people are familiar with, or many you know um, 
you know, dermatologists I know are familiar with uh, the concept that these neuropeptides can be associated with itching disorders, but also with neurogenic inflammation. Are those also upregulated in parigonodularis? Uh, absolutely. So um, 100% that those are uh, dysregulated in parigonodularis. And I think it's really interesting that there is this crosstalk that's going on. So as we know, these neuropeptides are released by uh, sensory neurons, and they actually act directly on the immune cells. So calcitonin, gene-related protein, uh, substance P, VIP, all of those things act on immune cells. So released by those sensory nerve fibers and that itch sensation, the immune cells like the eosinophils, um, ILCs, mast cells, macrophages, T cells, dendritic cells. And then what we have is that exactly what you said, that cutaneous neurogenic inflammation that's mediated by these peptides uh, and then stimulating also this immune system dysregulation. It's bidirectional also. So absolutely that that's part of what's going on. And what's so fascinating is that those it's not just those neurogenic inflammatory peptides, but also IL-31, IL-13, IL-4, all of those mediators hypersensitize uh, neurons um, and then lead to neuronal sensitization. So actually we found all of those receptors on those uh, nerve endings. Yeah, I think that's a really important point is to recognize, you know, and, and, and really when we talk about the neuropeptides, it's just the, you know, that is a hallmark of our a kind of classic understanding, right? These are, they can be released by, um, by the nerve terminals themselves, but really also other cell types, immune cells can release these and they influence not only the neural activity, but they also influence the activity of other inflammatory cells, their recruitment, their production of cytokines, there's data on other inflammatory skin disease models like psoriasis and atopic dermatitis that show that they can fuel that as well. But they're also obviously talking to endothelial cells and that can influence kind of the health of the tissue as well, right? Of the, of the, the dermis um, and the fibroblasts. And so, you know, people often you know, have said about PN patients when we, when we talk about this perception that it's just a picking disorder or that it's psychiatric is that they're inducing these lesions. And certainly there is a kind of vicious cycle that fuels this, um, the development of the PN lesion, but obviously, and some of the work that you're doing shows that there are predispositions for there to be cytokine dysregulation, right? Um, not just that they're being released as they would be released by anybody who traumatizes their skin, but it's not like every time we get a cut, right, that we go on and develop PN or that we have a bug bite that we develop PN. So clearly there is dysregulation of how nerves and the immune system um, react in the setting of, of this trauma that is unique to, to PN in particular. Yeah, and you know we actually have, uh, building on what you're talking about for, in terms of that, that neuronal sensitization, the immune uh, crosstalk, we know that there's also several of these mediators that are also correlated with itch intensity, like IL-31, IL-31 receptor, um, and, and also actually our, our, our group recently did a study that's published um, as a preprint online right now, undergoing review and, it, and what we found is there's more IL-13 in parigonodularis patients. There's also in their blood, there's also more of what we call periostin, which is one of these um, proteins that are in, involved in extracellular matrix remodeling 
There's thoughts that it's also involved in ACE transmission. It's associated with type two inflammation as well. Um, so that was another like very interesting finding that that we have about um, kind of the biology of, of PN and how we're truly appreciating a lot more. Another study I want to bring up to you guys is a, a study that we did about um, the blood signature of Pragonagularis. And uh, we looked at plasma biomarkers of Pragonagularis. And uh, I talked to you about several cytokines before. But one thing that we also found that's very interesting, I think, is that there are uh, various intensities of the different cytokines that folks can have. So uh, crossing across immune axes as well. But one thing that we found, and we actually validated that in a larger study, uh, a larger panel of patients was that actually black patients with PN tend to have a much higher degree of systemic inflammation across a variety of cytokine markers, also C-reactive protein, a greater blood eosinophils, erythrocyte sedimentation rate than Caucasian patients and other patients. And I think that highlights a lot of what we talked about with PN in terms of race. You know, so black patients have uh, more fibrotic nodules, in my view, oftentimes thicker, much more dense nodules. And there may be a genetic predisposition to it in these patients, but what we're also highlighting is that there are very important components of social determinants of health in PN. We know that uh, minorities in this country are more likely to have many of the comorbidities and greater severity that are associated with PN, chronic kidney disease, type two diabetes. These are epidemics in many of our urban uh, minority skin of color patient populations. They have higher systemic inflammation. They have greater disease severity. So I think a lot of these things are tied together, bridging the molecular, the pathophysiology, um, also with kind of a broader context of uh, disparities in, in pragonodularis and what we're experiencing. So, so that was something I also wanted to highlight, uh, you know, to bring on your radar is that there are important societal factors uh, that are also uh, manifesting in how we uh, see these patients and how they present. Well, you know, another, you know, important point with that is, you know, we, we have always looked at PN from the perspective of what diseases or comorbidities, right, do individuals have that led them to have PN? And we've already talked about the merits and the reasons, you know, for that argument, but also against that argument, right? Like PN is a disease in and of itself and, um, and does not necessarily need to arise in the setting, for example, of chronic kidney disease. But you mentioned a point, and I want you to expand on it if you might for a moment, um, the fact that in patients who already have PN, Right, they they may there are risk factors then that are increased for developing chronic kidney disease or other disorders. And so, where do you think? I'm just curious. I'm kind of asking you to hypothesize, kind of off the cuff here. Where do you think in the landscape of PN that really starts to um, have an impact? And you know, just one question is also: Do you, in your experience thus far and in your research, have you seen that the severity of PN actually makes a difference for those patients who are more likely to go on and have other systemic disorders? Great question. I honestly believe that greater disease control of PN will lead to less comorbidity development, and. I think that that's where it's going because a lot of these circulating blood inflammatory mediators that I mentioned are associated with these other conditions, 
uh, chronic kidney disease, type two diabetes, all of those things. And many of the patients that have uncontrolled type two diabetes tend to have the most severe paragonagularis. Uh, so I honestly believe that this inflammation and stopping it is better for a variety of different disease comorbidities. And I think we'll end up seeing this through longitudinal data now that uh, some agents are closer to the finish line. But I truly believe they early treatment will allow for a lot of these other conditions and, and their management and how they evolve to not even appear and for folks to have better quality lives. Cause think about it this way, right? You're itching all day. You're not sleeping. You're not sleeping. Just not sleeping is known by itself to elevate blood glucose. It's known by itself to make you more likely to get all these diseases like that alone. And then if you think about, oh, well, it's actually decreasing specific elements of inflammation that we know are associated with these things. So I think that's really the, the frontier is explaining that element to patients. Whenever I do, and I talk in that depth, they're like, oh man, like we shouldn't have waited so long to treat this and get on top of it. So I love that you highlighted that. And that's actually what I was hoping you would do because I, I've had, again, this is a little bit more anecdotal, uh, but then also just intuitively, right? I mean, it does make sense that if you have uncontrolled inflammation in your body, you are going to be at higher risk of other long-term comorbidities. And we've seen that with cardiovascular disease. We've seen that with diabetes, as you've said, other metabolic disorders, uh, and they really go hand in hand. And so I think that is a very important point. You know, at some point, our goal, right? When we when we even think about what is the treatment for PN, it obviously, right, is to um, to break the itch scratch cycle. It's to reduce the burden of disease, uh, and it's also to either highlight potential predisposing conditions, but also really now, I think, with this involving insight from your work and others, that these patients are at higher risk for other disorders, even beyond just depression, anxiety, you know, and quality of life issues. So, you know, when we're thinking about how to intervene, right, how do we break that cycle? Uh, we have to start really honing in then on the pathophysiology. And this is where, you know, in the past, we may have relied on you know, broad acting immunosuppressive or broad, broadly acting uh, neurosuppressive, if you will, or neuromodulatory agents, where we can start to see, well, hey, right, IL-4, IL-13 is elevated, IL-17, you know, um, IL-22, IL-31, like where can we start to intervene? And that's actually what we'll get to, I believe, in our next podcast is talking about how are the current agents that are in development, you know, how are they addressing what is now known about the pathophysiology? How do we maybe more specifically interrupt again the neuro, the neural sensitization and processing of itch that is so clearly important to this disease? And I want to highlight one, you know, point, which is you know, drugs like we've already referred to, like dupilumab, that uh, we so often associate with being purely anti-inflammatory right? Um, blocking the inflammation of eczema, right? Uh, that underlies eczema is also key and important to a disease like prigonodularis where those cytokines are increased. And it's not just that they're having an immuno you know, or an inflammatory impact, but they are also regulating how 
easily those nerves get sensitized or modulated. So if you can interrupt that cycle, right, we'll probably, we'll discuss other drugs that are in the pipeline soon, um, like nalbifene, that also may, you know, not only directly reduce itch, but also may uh, impact the ability or the susceptibility, I should say, of nerves to be activated and then what those nerves do to recruit the machinery to become more sensitized, right? And those pathways, how they become more sensitized. So I think we're really, it's a pretty exciting time. And it's great that, you know, you are starting, you and your colleagues are starting to distill out, well, what are the factors that we can really address? Absolutely. And I think you make a really great point about how we're learning the most about pathophysiology actually through these very well-designed trials and the interventions. And actually, we had a recent failure of a trial, um, a, a drug that uh, blocks uh, substance P uh, called sorlopatin that did not meet its primary endpoint in phase three studies. And what we're finding, uh, at least from data that you know we'll talk about shortly, is that modulating the immune component of PN seems to be a real driver of disease. Um, And so we'll touch on that in a little bit uh, in terms of new therapies, but uh, thank you so much, Serena, for a nice discussion. Thanks for having me. It's been great. I really love talking about all of these PN-related topics. I know, it just makes me itchy though. I'm starting to scratch. I'm sure (laughs) any listeners are starting to get itchy and scratched too. Mirror neurons, right? Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash pnodularis4. Look for all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today.